Support for Criminal comes from 1Password. If you're someone who's ever reused an old password, or you just hate creating and keeping track of new ones, then it might be time to try a password manager. 1Password generates as many strong, unique passwords as you need and securely stores them in an encrypted vault that only you have access to. All you have to do is remember one strong account password that protects everything else. Right now, our listeners get a free two-week trial for you and your family at onepassword.com criminal. That's the number one, password.com criminal for two free weeks. onepassword.com criminal. Support for Criminal comes from Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who switch to Progressive save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Hi, it's Phoebe. On Tuesday, June 11th, join us at the Tribeca Film Festival for a special 10th anniversary show. We'll be telling some of our favorite stories live on stage. Plus, our friend Melissa McCarthy will join us for a Q&A. Tickets are available now at thisiscriminal.com slash live. See you soon. In 1887, a young woman walked into a boarding house in Manhattan to rent a bed for the night. She was dressed in nice clothes, but she had no luggage and not much money. She said her name was Nellie Brown. But when the other women at the boarding house asked her where she had come from and how long she had been in New York, Nellie Brown said she couldn't remember. Some of the other women thought she acted strange, and they became scared of her, so they went to the police. Nellie Brown was brought before a judge in Manhattan, but still couldn't explain where she'd come from. The judge wasn't sure what to do with her, and then one of the police officers who was present said, send her to the island. Nellie Brown was put on a boat with a few other people. The boat crossed New York's East River, and soon it docked on a small island. A man and a woman grabbed Nellie Brown's arms and led her up the plank. She asked the man where they were. He responded, Blackwell's Island, an insane place where you'll never get out of. She was put in an ambulance with another four women. The ambulance headed straight for what was called the New York City Lunatic Asylum. The asylum's entrance was a large octagonal building. When they arrived at the octagon and walked up its stone stairs, Nellie Brown turned to the woman next to her and asked, Are you crazy? No the woman said, but we will have to be quiet until we find some means of escape. Only women were sent to the asylum on Blackwell's Island. It was relatively easy in those days to get someone committed. Author Stacy Horn. You had to take them before a judge, and the judge at this time um, were police justices. Um, the courts were very different than how they are now. 
And when uh, you're arrested or if someone's trying to commit you, you first go to a police court. And you're brought before a police justice, and they just need to get a doctor or a priest or an apothecary to say that you are suffering from some sort of mental illness. And you could see how who was being committed was a reflection of the bias at the time. And at the time, New York was very anti-women who wouldn't stay in line. Stacey Horn says that women who didn't fit the norms of society could easily end up in an asylum. If she was very independent, if she was very difficult, if she fought um, for independence in any sort of way, they could get her committed. If she was suffering from simple anxiety or depression, they could get her committed. When Nellie Brown arrived at the New York City Lunatic Asylum on Blackwell's Island, she tried to tell the doctors that she did not belong there. She told the doctor, I am not sick, and I do not want to stay here. No one has a right to shut me up in this manner. The doctor ignored her. She later wrote, I began to have a smaller regard for the ability of doctors. I felt sure that no doctor could tell whether people were insane or not. She was taken into a cold room with a bathtub. She refused to undress and get into the bathtub, but, quote, They said if I did not, they would use force, and that it would not be very gentle. Then buckets of freezing cold water were poured over her head. And all the women in the institution would have to go through these same bathtubs over and over and over and over. So in a few hours, depending on the condition of the women who were admitted that day, these things would be like more sludge than water and just filled with feces and and vermin And you take, you know, a a vulnerable woman who is suffering from whatever postpartum depression, although that wouldn't have been diagnosed then, but and tell her she has to step into that. Nellie Brown wrote, They dragged me, gasping, shivering, and quaking from the tub. She was taken to a room with bars in front of the windows and left there, wet and cold. The nurses locked the door from the outside. Nellie Brown wrote, I could not sleep, so I lay in bed picturing the horrors in case a fire should break out. Nellie Brown wasn't who she told the doctors she was. She was actually an undercover newspaper reporter, Nellie Bly. Nellie Bly was born in 1864 in Pennsylvania. Her father died when she was young, and she had to drop out of school to work. And she started writing a newspaper column. Then she moved to New York. She walked into the offices of the New York World, Joseph Pulitzer's paper. She said she wanted to write a story about immigration. But the editor had another idea. He asked her to get herself committed to the New York City Lunatic Asylum at Blackwell's Island and write about what was going on inside. But... Once she got to the asylum, she wasn't able to write to anyone on the outside. Nellie Bly wrote, The insane asylum on Blackwell's Island is a human rat trap. It's easy to get in, but impossible to get out. I'm Phoebe Judge. This is Criminal. We'll be right back.
Support for Criminal comes from Astapro, who also provided us with free samples. This is my favorite time of year, even though I've had terrible allergies all my life. My mother says she always knew when I was up in the morning because she'd hear me sneeze and say, Phoebe's up. I think the most I've ever sneezed in a row is 48. It's like my nose is in control and I'm just along for the ride. Astapro delivers full prescription strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. It starts working in just 30 minutes, so you can get on with your day and be out in the sun comfortably. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount. That's A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Use as directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. Support for Criminal comes from Quince. It's spring, and you might be in the mood to get rid of some clutter. A good place as any to start is your wardrobe. Having just a few high-quality, timeless pieces of clothing feels a lot better than a closet full of stuff you're not that thrilled about. You can get some of those well-made essentials from Quince. Quince is a brand that offers luxury clothing essentials at reasonable prices. They have a wide variety of items, like 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters, organic cotton sweaters, washable silk tops, and 14-karat gold jewelry. All of Quince's stuff is affordable. In fact, they're priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They're able to do that because they partner directly with top factories. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com criminal for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash criminal to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash criminal. This is pretty convenient to have this bus that goes around the island. I agree. It's very convenient. Earlier this year, we were on a bus going around Roosevelt Island. Roosevelt Island was formerly known as Blackwell's Island. It's a narrow strip of land in the middle of New York's East River. We were riding with Judith Birdie, a longtime resident and president of the Roosevelt Island Historical Society. You have the perfect voice for narrating. Oh, that's Where nice. are you from? Well, I'm from Chicago. Uh, Midwestern neutral voice. Yeah, very Who neutral. Who are you rooting for on Sunday? Roosevelt Island is small just 1.5 miles long. The island is technically a part of Manhattan. We got here on the aerial tram, which travels 250 feet above the river. The trip from Manhattan only takes four minutes. If you, if you didn't want to leave the island, yeah. is there everything that you could possibly need here? Yes, we have supermarket, dry cleaner, Mexican restaurant, pizzeria, Japanese, Chinese, uh, falafel. You can stay here and get everything on the island. It just gets boring. <laughs> Maybe we'll take the tram and go to the new Trader Joe's in Manhattan. So. We got off the bus at the northern end of the island. Here's the octagon. Today... Only one part of New York City's old asylum still exists, the Octagon. So this is the entrance to the asylum, and now it's the entrance to a luxury apartment house. It's a rental building. It is 
my favorite landmark because when they restored the building to make it into an apartment house, the good thing was that they never got rid of all the rubble around it so they could restore all the stonework with the originals. I mean, it seems an odd design for an asylum, an octagon. Oh, no. All our, all our institutions in the 19th century were beautiful on the exterior and hell holes on the interior. Yeah. So this is where they would, the, the patients would enter. Right. They had this fancy formal entrance. We walked into a large rotunda with a spiral staircase. So you'd go through a formal entrance and then you'd, that would stop and you'd... Then you went down the long corridors and saw reality. The Roosevelt Island Historical Society has an office right inside the octagon. Oh, there's a gym. Dance studio, cycles. The apartment complex, which is called the octagon, has a coffee bar, a game room with pool tables and a TV lounge. Do you think that a lot of the people who live in the building have any idea about, even though they live here? Uh, No, a lot of people don't know the history. As Judith showed us around the island, she seemed to know everybody. She's lived on Roosevelt Island since 1977, just a few years after the island was leased by the state of New York for residents to live on. She says that before she moved here, the island was full of mostly just abandoned buildings. But lots of new people started moving to the island around the same time she did. Rent was much cheaper on the island than in Manhattan. Roosevelt Island has been called Roosevelt Island since 1973, when it was named after FDR. The island was first called Minnehammock by the Indians, the Native Americans. Then when the Dutch ran New York, they called it Varkens Island. A Vark is a hog, so welcome to Hog Island. Then the Blackwell family, when they acquired the island, it was named after um, the Blackwells. And then it became Blackwell's Island. In 1828, New York City bought Blackwell's Island for $32,500. It was just a few buildings, a bunch of fruit orchards. Stacy Horn. It was beautiful. The way it's described, it just sounds like this lovely, idyllic pastoral retreat. In the early 1800s, New York City was growing. Lots of people were arriving to live there. New York had become America's largest city. And Bellevue Hospital in Manhattan, the oldest public hospital in the country, was overcrowded. But Bellevue wasn't just a hospital. It was also acting as a prison and a home for the poor in the city's so-called lunatic asylum. And it was so overcrowded to the point of being inhumane, and they realized they had to do something about that. So um, they explored various options, and they ended up buying Blackwell's Island from the family. um, And the plan was to build replacement institutions there. But at the same time, they thought, we're not going to make any of the mistakes that we did before. And they did a lot of research on everything. Like they, well, they called these places lunatic asylums at the time. So I'm going to use that term. There was one in Philadelphia that was considered the model of how you treat people with mental illnesses. It's very humane. 
And so they thought, okay, we're going to do this and we're going to do this even better. And they'd made similar explorations for every institution. You know, how can we make a better almshouse? How can we make a more humane prison? The first building New York City completed on Blackwell's Island was the new prison. It was called Blackwell's Island Penitentiary. They also built a hospital, a workhouse, and the asylum. It actually was a really good idea and very well-intentioned. They really did see it as a sanctuary, as a retreat, you know, to take these people away from Manhattan and all its temptations and dangers and give them a chance to rehabilitate it. They're sick. We'll help them get better. Um, If they have mental illnesses, we'll try to cure them. And if they're convicts, we'll try to rehabilitate them. I mean, they really were proud when they began. They they felt, you know, we're going to do this right and we're going to show the whole world. The New York City Lunatic Asylum opened in 1839. At the asylum, doctors and nurses would follow a new type of treatment for people with psychiatric illnesses called moral treatment. At the time, or just before, the way they dealt with mentally ill, the treatments included um, bloodletting, putting them in prison, uh, straitjackets. I mean, it was terrible. So moral treatment just meant, instead of that, let's treat them humanely. Let's put them in institutions where they get a nice room with a window and a warm, comfy bed, and we'll feed them good food, and we'll treat them with love and care and give them things to do during the day um, that's productive or fun or, or music and entertainment, you know, things that are enriching. And maybe if we do that, they'll get better. And in Philadelphia, where they actually were doing their best to follow that, they were getting better. But Stacy Horn says things on Blackwell's Island started going wrong almost immediately. The first building was built half the size than had been originally planned. So right away, they were overcrowded. On the day the asylum opened in 1839, it almost reached its capacity of 200 people. So administrators quickly started adding small wooden structures. A lot of their plans quickly started to come apart. It was supposed to be one woman per room. And she would have a window and a nice bed. And what ended up happening is they would put anywhere from four to six women in a room that was meant for one. And they started using interior rooms. Um, So none of those rooms had windows. And another thing um, they swore they would never have is windows in the door so you can look in the room, something that prisons have. Because they felt, you know, the women would feel like, you know, they were on view, like being in a zoo. Stacy Horn says the city had also underestimated how expensive everything would be. So they were always coming up with new ideas for saving money. And some of their ideas were just dreadful. And one idea they had um, was instead of hiring nurses and attendants for the lunatic asylum, they would take um, convicts from the penitentiary and the workhouse, and they would work as nurses and attendants in the lunatic asylum. And, and that just went horribly. Often, the doctors were recent graduates or even medical students, some as young as 19, who would move on to better jobs as soon as they could. 
all the institutions on this island, whether they were, you know, penal institutions or hospitals, um, they were all run by the same group of men, um, anywhere from three to six commissioners. But eventually it was just three. The three commissioners were in charge of hiring and firing staff at all of the institutions on the island, including the poorhouse, the penitentiary, and the asylum. Which meant that doctors and other staff had little say in how things were run. Everything had to go through the commissioners, who were in charge of what was named the Department of Public Charities and Correction. It was an unfortunate association because it created this association that the poor, the mentally ill, and criminals were all somehow one and the same, that the mentally ill were dangerous and the poor were essentially thieves in disguise. And it's, it's an association that persists to this day. And I do want to point out that technically these institutions shouldn't have been only for poor people, though some were directly for poor people. But, for instance, the, the penal institutions, it shouldn't have mattered what your income was if you were convicted of a crime. This is where you went. But it ended up being only where poor people went. If a wealthy family had a mentally ill um, family member, they went to a private institution. Um, If they had a health problem, they went to a private hospital. And wealthy people who committed crimes were almost never arrested. And if they were arrested, they were let go with a fine or their cases were just dismissed. Um, And they never, almost never, went to prison. We'll be right back. Thanks to 1Password for their support. It can be annoying to create so many new, unique passwords with arbitrary numbers, symbols, and letters every time we need one. And then once we've created one that works, we have to try to keep track of it and not reuse it anywhere else. And not choose anything that's easy to guess or remember. 1Password can take care of all of that for you. 1Password generates as many strong, unique passwords as you need and securely stores them in an encrypted vault that only you have access to. It uses industry-leading security to bring private, secure, and user-friendly password management to everyone. With 1Password, you just need to remember one strong account password that protects everything else. It's a great way to keep things organized and private, so you'll no longer need to keep tabs on a bunch of long, convoluted passwords or reuse the same one ever again. Join the millions of users and over 100,000 businesses who trust 1Password's award-winning password manager. Right now, our listeners get a free two-week trial for you and your family at onepassword.com slash criminal. That's the number one, password.com slash criminal for two free weeks. Onepassword.com slash criminal. Thanks to Progressive for their support. While you're listening to the show, maybe you're also doing something else. Driving, dishes, folding laundry. I listen when I go on walks. If you're not currently driving a car, you could also be getting an auto quote from Progressive Insurance. Save money right now from your phone. Drivers who switch to Progressive save nearly $750 on average. And auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Discounts for having multiple vehicles on your policy, being a homeowner, and more. Progressive will be with you 24-7, 365 days a year, so you're protected no matter what. 
You can get a quote for your car insurance at Progressive.com to join over the 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Nellie Bly wrote that during the day, the women at the asylum were not allowed to read. So instead, they would talk about all the different foods they would eat if they ever got out of the asylum. It was cold in the asylum, and the women were only given short dresses. It was so cold, the nurses wore coats inside. One visitor reported seeing women whose feet had turned purple from the cold. On one of her first days at the asylum, Nellie Bly and the other women were taken for a walk. They walked two by two in a line guarded by the asylum attendants. They were not allowed to touch the grass. The patients who were deemed violent were tied together. One woman was dragged along, wearing a straitjacket. There would be like a chain um, that would go through the belt, uh, you know, from one woman to the next and tied so that they were like horses um, in, in a long line so they couldn't escape. That was partially done to make it easier to manage them, but they did have a problem that women, once they got outside, would run straight for the river and jump in and drown. In case visitors came to the island, nurses would tie scarves around the belts to hide the fact that the women were being restrained. The women at the asylum were grouped according to how difficult or sick the doctors or nurses thought they were. Straitjackets and solitary confinement were often used at the asylum. Nellie Bly had planned to get herself committed to the most restrictive part of the asylum. But when she heard stories from other women about how severely the patients had been abused by staff, some had been left permanently injured, she decided not to risk it. She saw cases of terrible abuse, like nurses choking um, inmates there, taking them into a closet so that they can further abuse them. And she would hear the women screaming while in the uh, the closet. Oh, and it was terrible because she would say, you know, eventually the screams get, you know, quieter and quieter and quieter until the inmate is silenced. And then she comes out and she's clearly been beaten. Nellie Bly tried to tell the people in charge about some of the things she'd seen at the asylum. And she would say, you know, this is going on, and nobody would listen to her, and they certainly didn't listen to the victims. For dinner, she wrote that the women were sometimes given some soup, a cold potato, and a piece of spoiled beef. There were no knives or forks. Women who had bad or no teeth couldn't eat. The patients watched as the nurses ate fresh food like grapes and apples. Some patients died because they were sick or injured and didn't get the care they needed. About forty to 50,000 people were admitted there every year, and 1,000 people died there every year. Stacy Horn says, unlike prison inmates who received a sentence, the women at the asylum had no idea how long they would have to stay, and if they would ever go home. 
One report showed that a majority of patients had been at the asylum somewhere between 10 and 30 years. Nellie Bly wrote about one girl who, every morning, talked about her mother and said, I think she may come today and take me home. She'd been at the asylum for four years. She wrote that she sometimes saw patients who would, quote, stand and gaze longingly toward the city. When I went to visit the island, I did one thing. I walked the perimeter of the island, and then I faced Manhattan, and it just looks so close. And I'm a swimmer, and I could just imagine someone looking over and thinking, I could make that. I could do it. Except the current in the East River is very, very strong, and pretty much 99% of the people who tried died. But it looks like you could do it pretty easily. Just right there, right in front of them, is this, like, glittering, beautiful island of Manhattan. It must have looked like the Emerald City of Oz. One day, Nellie Bly had a visitor. Her newspaper had sent a lawyer to try to get her out. She told the lawyer that the first thing she wanted was something to eat. She said goodbye to the women at the asylum. She wrote, There is a certain pain in leaving. I had been one of them. It seemed intensely selfish to leave them to their sufferings. Nellie Bly wrote about what she'd experienced inside the New York City Lunatic Asylum. Her report ran as a serialized expose in the New York world. It was widely read. People were shocked, and the city began investigating the conditions at the asylum. As a result of her reporting, more staff was hired, including female physicians, although they didn't stay long. A new fire escape and a bathhouse were planned, and the patients got to make coats for themselves out of blankets. Someone thought it would be nice for the women to have birds. Twenty-five canaries. They increased the budget for the lunatic asylum. But it was something like, it, it it wasn't enough. It didn't really have any effect on the conditions there. It was just not enough to even be a blip in their lives. Exposé after exposé would come out about the lunatic asylum and the other institutions, and the public would go, oh, this is terrible. And the city would make um, some sort of effort to address the situation, and it was always enough to get the outraged people to go, okay, good, something's happening, something's going to get better. Um, But it never really got very much better. By 1901, all of the patients at the asylum had been moved to other institutions. Nellie Bly continued working as an undercover reporter. She went undercover trying to bribe a corrupt lobbyist, got herself sent to prison, and investigated the practice of buying babies on the black market. Later, she worked as a correspondent during World War I. She eventually published her reporting from the Blackwell's Island Asylum as a book. Today, at the northern tip of Roosevelt Island, there's a large monument to Nellie Bly. A sculptor created five faces of different women. And she decided that it was more than just Nellie Bly, and she represented all women. So we have these beautiful seven-feet-tall heads. It's called the girl puzzle. 
The monument is named after Nellie Bly's first published headline. So we just have Nellie all over the place. (laughs) Yeah, Nellie's our girl. If you want to learn more about what was happening on the other end of Roosevelt Island from the asylum, we have a special bonus episode for subscribers of our new membership program, Criminal Plus. In the bonus episode, we'll be taking a closer look at the island's prison and an annual Christmas show performed at the prison in the 1920s and 30s. They would take labels off of tomato soup cans, soak them in water, and use the red ink to create lipstick and rouge. They would also crush up uh, chalk to make white powder. Uh, Sometimes they would use shoe polish as mascara and eyeshadow. So really expressing a great deal of ingenuity to reclaim their queer identity despite adversity and um, oppression. To hear more from playwright Travis Russ, who learned about the island's holiday show while working on his new play, The Gorgeous Nothings, sign up for Criminal Plus. If you sign up for Criminal Plus, you can also listen to criminal episodes without any ads. To learn more, go to thisiscriminal.com slash plus. Criminal is created by Lauren Spohr and me. Nadia Wilson is our senior producer. Katie Bishop is our supervising producer. Our producers are Susanna Robertson, Jackie Sajiko, Lily Clark, Lena Sillison, Sam Kim, and Megan Kinane. Engineering by Russ Henry. This episode was mixed by Emma Munger. Julian Alexander makes original illustrations for each episode of Criminal. You can see them at thisiscriminal.com. Stacey Horn's book is Damnation Island, Poor, Sick, Mad, and Criminal in 19th Century New York. You can sign up for our newsletter at thisiscriminal.com slash newsletter. And if you like the show, tell a friend or leave us a review. It means a lot. We're on Facebook and Twitter at Criminal Show and Instagram at criminal underscore podcast. We're also on YouTube at youtube.com slash criminal podcast. Criminal is recorded in the studios of North Carolina Public Radio WUNC. We're part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. Discover more great shows at podcast.voxmedia.com. I'm Phoebe Judge. This is Criminal. Thanks to Progressive for their support. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who switch to Progressive save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations.